You have returned to Season 2 of the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I continue this journey of unlocking the hidden mysteries of the beatific vision of God for you, the spiritual pilgrim treading upon the narrow path. Prepare yourself. Episode 11, The Descent into Hell Welcome back to Season 2 of the Logos of Experience and Truth. After a general overview of the mysteries, highlights of the various mystical experiences that I have experienced or undergone, however you wish to view it, a detailed description of my mystical ascension experience in the first episode, followed by a summary examination of that experience through the lens of knowledge gained from the history books of those that have experienced and expressed similarly the movements that occur, it's time to delve back into the past. Way in the past. Exactly 20 years ago, to be precise, which is an interesting interval and again a reflection of both linear and cyclical time as we human beings experience time, as the ongoing flow that changes since it moves forward, yet also remains the same since it repeats itself always. If you have had a chance to visit my website at logosofexperienceandtruth.com, perhaps you have already delved deeper into the mysteries. If you haven't, make sure to visit and become a member since I break down the image of that which is seen during the mystical experience across the pages of human history, specific to each of the various cultural and religious groups across time. What I left out in Season 1 of the podcast and within the member content found in the Vision Explained Deeper will be spoken of more clearly in these 10 episodes for Season 2. Due to the nature of the contents found in this season, it will be heavy on the non-fiction, autobiographical sort, but will also expand into the questions and answers about the various phenomena of spiritual experience I've spoken of. As I stated in the first season of episodes, though I thoroughly enjoy reading the philosophical and theological and spiritual stuff, without the actual experiences of the various personages I've read, it's felt like much was being left out if it had actually occurred to them, or the writers were simply rehashing things they'd learned but hadn't actually experienced themselves. I was recently combing through YouTube and reading through what others have spoken of regarding subconscious reprogramming and such things as that, and over and over again, nobody seems to speak about any type of mystical experience, images seen, visions had, etc., I won't name these speakers since I'm not bashing their work. There's some very good speakers out there and perhaps they haven't had actual mystical experience and are simply experts in the philosophy that is extracted from such experience. But I do find it very curious that such experiences as I will relate are not spoken of very often by others. Or I suppose I've just seen and experienced and comprehended some pretty wild stuff. This is why I started this podcast with my most recent mystical experience and then unpacked much of the underlying mystical philosophical underpinnings of that experience. And this season of the podcast will continue down that path, but with much more detail of the personal sort. Some of what I will recount will obviously sound made up. Hopefully, the discerning listener of this podcast or reader of this ebook will be able to pick up the type of details that will render it impossible to have been made up. Fantastical, drug-induced, and hallucinatory, perhaps, but definitely not made up in the creative sense. 
As spoken of in another episode, I'm sure there's something to be said in trying to give a disclaimer at the forefront saying that I'm not lying in what I will retell as a way of priming your mind towards a laundry list of lies, but hopefully by now, you know I ain't lying. Telling the truth is far more interesting to me regarding these mysteries than lying or making it up. And if you still believe I'm just crazy or was solely under the influence of drugs, then at least you're getting some of the visual content that such experiences may bring if that's all you come to believe may have been occurring in my mind. So let's get into it. There was an experience I had in 2001. I have mentioned it, spoken of it in various episodes of the podcast and member content when it made sense regarding it, summarized it through one of my characters in my book Lucifer Revealed, but I have yet to tell the entire tale of that which occurred and was seen and experienced. As before, I will do my best not to provide interpretation of what was experienced and seen during the time of the experience unless it was seen and interpreted and understood during the experience itself. I will instead tell the tale to the best of my abilities and will then unpack it along with everything that I could reflect upon and see that led up to the mystical experience, followed with all that came afterwards. So I won't provide too much context to what led up to this experience other than what I feel is necessary so that you understand to a degree what I may have immediately understood during the experience and at the very least understood very quickly afterwards. Also, just as a disclaimer, this story will get deeper into my previous life's drug use, along with graphic depictions of the possibly supernatural scary sort. You have been advised. I was 19 at the time. There is that obvious comment to be made that through the course of time and aging and the gaining of knowledge, experience, and wisdom, we all grow. We change. We either devolve into something more bestial or rise higher as human beings and then further rise into spiritual beings. It's the flow of life whether we know it or not. To put it as bluntly as I can, who I was prior to this experience is both who I am now, but then is also not who I am now. Obviously, if I look in the mirror, I know I'm still the same person in a way, but then when I look in my mind, I'm definitely not the same person. Even if the memories of the past arise, or even as I draft this podcast and have to conjure up the memories from a time long ago that no longer exists other than in my mind, I am not the same person that experienced this experience. Also, I told myself I didn't have to write anything new since I've already drafted and written these experiences out in full many times, but there's still that exercise and desire and testing the power of my memory and recalling the tale that has me ignoring my notes. And as I draft this and instead am relying upon memory to recall all that was occurring at that time, especially in my mind and thoughts. Though starting in medias rex is the preferred method of starting a tale, this tale begins a week prior to the mystical experience since I'm positive it was the nexus point for what came next. There were other stones rolling down the hill that converged to become the snowball experience that we'll get to in the next podcast, but this weekend prior, I've always felt led directly to the near-death or death experience that I witnessed and underwent and will soon recount. I've stated prior I'm not entirely sure on the time period I'm at here, specifically at least. I know it was sometime in March or April of 2001, end of winter, about to enter into spring. 
I stated prior as well that I sometimes like to think that the date of this experience occurred exactly on the same date that my more recent mystical experiences occurred on March 25th, 2018. But I'm honest in saying I'm probably just thinking romantically and that though I could just say it definitely occurred on the same date, just to really make it cyclically concrete and maybe more interesting to you listening to this about just how utterly synchronous an event it was to have two different mystical experiences on the same date 17 years apart. But I would just be non-factual and telling the facts when it comes to these experiences, as I've said, is much more interesting to me. So the two experiences could have occurred on the same date, and then they may not have. Of course, this is assuming the calculation of time is accurate, and assuming the calculation of time in the West especially is accurate, since even if the dates on a calendar are incorrect or non-synchronous, would they be incorrect in universal or spiritual time? But such thoughts and concepts and thinking can be saved for another time. So this was sometime in the end of March or beginning of April in 2001. On this weekend, I had just bought the largest sack of chronic I'd ever bought for just myself and not smoking weed in a social context, since I think when I dabbled once or twice in selling weed in high school, I'd bought equal or larger quantities of weed, but that was for a different purpose and it was that nasty sense weed, not chronic. I'd bought a quarter ounce of chronic this weekend for the sole purpose of seeing if I kept smoking it hit after hit, bowl after bowl until it was finished without stopping if I could get any higher than I'd been previously. That was my purpose. That was my logic. The hardcore bud smokers may laugh at such a tiny amount, but for me, it was a lot. You smoke a bowl or a joint and that's usually it for the session or the afternoon or the day. Maybe later you'd smoke another bowl, but if you were with other people, that bowl would only last a couple hits unless you were that guy that had dragon lungs and could clear a bowl in a single breath. That wasn't me. Maybe once or twice in a bong hit I managed to clear it entirely, but it was not without great effort and a ton of coughing afterwards. So I generally left those awesome hits of weed to those with vacuum lungs. Anyways, my idea was always to make the eighth of weed I normally would buy last as long as possible, a week or two with just a couple hits here or a couple hits there since I always got high after two to three hits and would save the rest for later. Not on this weekend. My goal was to keep hitting it, keep smoking it, hit after hit, only stopping when I simply couldn't smoke anymore since again, I was experimenting on whether you could get higher by continuing to hit the bong over and over again. Was there a higher high that I could reach and experience if I let go of the pacing I normally held with weed smoking or not? Was my question. I wish I had an answer for you, but my mind is obviously quite hazy from this experience. I think I was playing video games and hitting the bong, but I may just be imagining that because what I also remember is that my studio apartment was silent. I don't remember the television being on. I don't remember playing video games. I seem to recall listening to music, the end by the doors comes to mind, listening to it over and over again, which would make for an interesting detail to what came next, but I may or may not be inserting ideas into my mind to try and remember the exact details of what was going on at this point. What I do remember with certainty are the following images that began entering into my mind. I reached a point where after each hit of chronic, I began visualizing a giant needle coming through the roof of my apartment that was stabbing me in the top of my head and entering into my brain. 
I remember getting freaked out a bit by it since it was as if I could feel the needle pressing into my head through my skull. I can't remember exactly if I thought it was God or the devil doing it, but I know I thought something in regards to exactly who or what was doing the needle press or providing the idea of the needle press into my mind since it didn't feel like it was a conscious thought. And then most importantly, thoughts that I had never considered prior as a youth, interested too much in the experience of life to have ever really considered it, but it was here on this night visualizing the needle coming into my head with each new hit from the bong as my throat was burning and my chest heaving from the constant smoke inside of my lungs, it was here when I first truly considered death. Now I'm positive I wasn't thinking suicidal thoughts. That I am certain. It was more on the lines of what is death? What is death like? Is it like what I'm doing right now smoking all this weed or like something else? Will smoking all this weed cause death, since that's what I was attributing the thoughts to, linking them to the experience of smoking weed ceaselessly, one hidden bowl after another, if it would or could bring about death? And then the thoughts went into, will the world miss me if I died? Or who would miss or mourn that I was now dead, along with how silly it would be to die alone smoking weed? I haven't looked into if these thoughts constitute some type of actual suicide thinking since I know I wasn't actually considering suicide. I know I wasn't thinking that I should cause my own death, just more in terms of considering death itself, if and when it occurred, and that I would die someday, and what was that, and what would that be like. I don't remember anything else from this experience. I don't remember if I finished all the weed or not, since by the next weekend I don't remember if I had any more. But I think I stopped at the point when I was considering death, especially since after the next weekend, upon my return, and after experimenting once more with a single toke of weed, I threw out all my weed and drug paraphernalia, including a couple nugs of chronic, which assumes I must have still had some from this weekend experience since I never bought another sack of weed after this point. So I had thought seriously about death. Whether this triggered the upcoming experience or not, you can be the judge of that, but since I know consciously I didn't really consider the experience or thoughts again until after my near-death experience that came a week later, I'm not sure if I attracted the experience or not in a subconscious, law of attraction type of manner. Though if you consider that I had never thought about death seriously prior, and now did, my thoughts had changed, my mind had changed, ever so slightly, but for any of those listening or reading that understand at least in principle some of these types of concepts, that small drop of water in the ocean caused ripples throughout. So perhaps it was directly responsible for what I'd soon see and experience now that I'm thinking about it from the vista that I occupy as I draft this out. A week later, I was hanging out with the same group of people, same group of influence that I'd been around for many years. I think we'd already been drinking, think we'd already been smoking weed. I'm not entirely sure, and I am probably just assuming we had since it's all that was ever done prior. The difference here was though I'd seen these same people smoke speed before, and though I'd ingested speed before, I'd never smoked it. They began to smoke it, and I said I wanted to try it as well. Again, I'm pretty sure it was speed. I don't ever remember hearing the word crystal meth back in 2001, and I'm not sure if the drug even existed or not. But I know this group of people used to speak of selling speed, so I'm pretty sure it was speed that I smoked for the first and only time. 
We'll get into it further in the next podcast episode, but I began to experience time shifting or leaping forward from smoking the speed. I'd experienced this prior in another drug experience I'll recount, but it was more pronounced here, or at least I consciously noticed it. One minute it was just me and another person smoking the speed with all the previous people that were there gone. Then there were suddenly four or five more people in the room smoking speed, and I couldn't remember the sequence of time between. One of the key elements of import that I began to see clearly during this experience was that of influence itself. Not so much the external aspect of peer pressure, but that thoughts create experience, and that the thoughts and influence of others, especially when young, frame and create those experiences within ourselves as well. Now, maybe this doesn't occur to all that engage in such drugs. I've often considered if it was just me, due to my naturally philosophic and contemplative nature, that while being within the grips of such a drug experience, I wound up experiencing it more fully than those around me. But what was strange was the people I was with knew this was occurring to themselves as well, and that was the fun of it for them in doing the drug to begin with. Something I didn't know, of course, both as experiencer and as receiver of the words and ideas of others, and as influencer upon others. It seems strange using these terms right now, considering the names given to voices and personalities on social media sites, so it's very curious to me as one that has never used social media to influence others up until now, that my words may be influencing some listening or reading. So some examples might suffice to explain what I'm trying to convey. I was so contemplating the experience I was having at this moment and the nature of reality within and around us and trying to talk about it, mind you, without any real study on the subject matter up to this point. I had a general sense or idea of God, or at least the historical and religious structure surrounding belief in God, but nothing further. If you visited my website and looked at the images of the vision I've plastered everywhere, then you know that Ezekiel's ring within a ring vision is obviously one of the images provided. Well, at this point, the only thing I knew about Ezekiel was that it was Samuel L. Jackson's murder quote before killing those guys in Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Hopefully, that's the last reference to Pulp Fiction I make since I'm pretty sure I've done it in a previous recording already. Anyways, I was so delving into the nature of reality after smoking this speed that the people around me told me I needed to stop or I would burst out a Moses beard since I was saying biblical type stuff and it was killing their high because, well, they didn't want to think or be influenced about such things, especially bringing up the word or idea of God. And when they said that I'd grow a beard, it was as if I could feel a beard forming on my face, like a shadow of it or that the image in the mind was already somehow capable of producing the sensation on the face of feeling a beard sagging down my chin. Naturally, this exploded my mind, and I began speaking more about exactly this, and the way they tried to explain it, having already experienced such things from their prior use of the drug, was put in an example. One of the people there said, look at this other person, then he said, he farts dynamite. And almost instantly, everybody started laughing because the recipient of that comment began wincing and squirming in his seat in almost physical pain because he now possessed the thought of his farts feeling like dynamite, and thus the thought was creating the physical pain upon his body, and he was incapable of removing the thought and the accompanying experience. 
Witnessing this was horrifying to me at the moment, whereas everybody else was laughing their heads off. Eventually, I think I dove into the laughter, but more from a state of not being able to control the thought process, which is essentially at the nexus of this experience, a lack of control over one's thoughts, let alone whatever it is that occurs within the human being regarding thought-creating sensation within the body, especially negative and painful sensation. That thought-created reality and experience was what I understood, and what was most pressing on my mind was that the thought of others could and did influence us, me, just as much if not more considering I wasn't even aware of this process occurring. I think we all understand this at some basic unconscious level, but obviously when one is a child or a teenager, incapable of controlling this process as it occurs in the mind, and we are subject and prey to all the whims and wiles of the world, it's not really anything truly considered. Also, as Americans, we like to think that we're in total control of our lives and existence from a freedom standpoint, but that's not really the case at the foundational level of being, especially when we're growing up and our subconscious mind is being attacked on all sides. I know I had considered a bit of these types of ideas prior to this experience, and perhaps just those mere attempts at understanding this aspect to reality are what fueled me to begin creating inner mental defenses. But obviously, when you smoke a drug that is literally aimed at destroying those mental defenses, one becomes utterly naked to the world. And this was exactly the feeling that I had, that my mind was somehow naked, naked to myself and naked to others, and that others were capable of essentially mind-raping you with their influence, whether you knew it was happening or not at the conscious level. I'm obviously expressing this eloquently right now and not how I thought it then, but the same general knowledge of the inner reality of the mental experience of experience is what I understood at this point, and that most importantly, the drug, or taking or using drugs, was a manner in which to utterly strip away any type of defenses that may exist within the mind to see and experience this untethered. Time skipped again. I remember nothing other than walking up and into a nightclub, desperately trying to shake off the effects of the drug, while remembering Benicio Del Toro's line from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas when he tells Johnny Depp not to fight the drug or it'll explode your brain, essentially. Entering into the nightclub was in all probability the worst thing I could have done and ever since this experience, being within massive groups of people that are all in a hyperelectric state brings so many impressions in my mind that it makes it difficult to concentrate on whatever it was my purpose may have been in partaking of the large crowds. I don't think I'm some type of empath on a day-to-day basis, even after this experience, but if empaths are actually real and not fake, or not simply trying to capitalize on such an experience as I had and thinking they have this power all the time. Whatever it is such persons may or may not experience, this is what I was experiencing here within this nightclub. But not in a happy I'm helping people kind of way, but in what I can only describe as seeing the land of the dead and entering into hell. In the memory-only section of my website in the Cultural Traditions chapter of the Vision Explained Deeper, I speak briefly about this experience as the seeing of the dead. I also stated that I am positive whatever this experience is, that whoever it is that first came up with a zombie idea or movie saw and experienced this exact thing that I was experiencing. The clearest way that I understood it as I was experiencing it was that I had entered into the land of the dead or that I could now see the land of the dead. Everybody around me was dead, just as I was since I was there as well, 
but that the dead are living and the living are dead and that there is this invisible unseen layer of the world of existence where this occurs. And as I describe through my character Sybil in my book, Lucifer Revealed, the mind influence and physical experience brought into reality by thought alone that I spoke about earlier was not just in full force here surrounded by all these dancing bodies, but that I essentially began to read the minds of those that were all around me and it was an omnipresent mind rate, mind fudge that was occurring left and right and all around me from all those present that were incapable of controlling their thoughts, lacked all knowledge of how to control their thoughts, and were using their thoughts to think up all manner of the nine circles of Dante's hell all around me, and I was peering and eavesdropping into this as I walked around this pit of living hell. And yes, I write that here, not that I considered or thought about it afterwards, but that I thought it then. This must be the land of the dead. This must be the Hades of woe that exists in the legends of old. This must be the true hell, here, right now, on earth, and all around, and within me. The idea if there was a hell at death no longer mattered to me, and still doesn't matter to me, because here, during this experience, I was within the bowels of the living hell that exists here, right now, upon the earth. There was also a hip-hop line that was repeating itself in my mind that kept driving the experience deeper. It was from Tupac's Machiavelli album, The Crazy Song, when he says, you ain't gotta be in jail to be doing time. And I translated that further as, you ain't gotta be physically dead to be in hell. What furthered this realization then and there was that it was as if one person's thoughts about another person were somehow recognized by the other person unconsciously and in this living dead realm of piercing into hell on earth, it was like the thoughts of one person were actually heard and responded to by the other, and not consciously, but as if there were some other presence within each and every person that achieved this thought transference. In future podcasts, I will relate further experiences that could point to a demonic influencing presence, but this here most definitely is the primary experience I had where I could say I saw something that could be termed demonic, an interior presence within each and all that not so much governed thought, but transferred and accepted and influenced it to the mind of the individual that was unawares of it being there. The other reason for the land of the dead and zombie-like seeing of the people around me was because of their faces. There was this weird fog that surrounded everybody's skin, especially their faces, since that's what I was primarily looking at. In the premium content of my website, I compare what I saw to the Peanuts character Pigpen, only instead of dirt that I saw surrounding everybody, it was like I was seeing the dead skin cells coming off of their faces. I also say that it wasn't melting, as in when acid users have described similar experiences, they say the faces of those around them look like they were melting. That's not what I saw. It was more like because of the slowness of time, or the rapidity of how fast my mind was moving, I did smoke speed, mind you, I was somehow able to see the skin cells of the faces around me flaking off. But it was occurring constantly, so much so that there appeared to be a haze around their faces, like when Pigpen walks around in the peanuts. Like I said, I'm positive whoever came up with the idea of the zombie or rediscovered in modern times and made the zombie movie, I'm positive they must have witnessed this exact same thing with or without drugs, who knows. Next, I will also be honest here and say that this experience scarred me deeply at the time when it came to an understanding of sexuality for two to three weeks or so after this experience. Because you've been following my words, 
All there appeared to me to be in this heightened state of receptivity to the influence and thoughts of others that I could see being transmitted from one's thought to another's unconscious mind, the very thoughts and ideas, whether or not the person thinking or receiving them was conscious of it or not, since there was something else within them that was conscious of it and accepted and gave such thoughts, that the overwhelming majority, stratospherically, universally, eternally, the majority of thoughts that each and every person in this place had and was thinking was entirely about sex. One person would think of another sexually, and that other person, though unawares, but receptive in this otherworldly manner, would agree in some weird thought acceptance to the sexual thought. It's why I saw it as mental rape or mental sex, because again, if you've been following me, whether the recipient was conscious or not, they felt and experienced the mental sexual thought that had been sent their way. Or I suppose I could say whatever it is I saw within them, a presence, the shadow or other self, the doppelganger interior self, or the demonic influence or presence, whatever this was, received and experienced the sex thoughts that it was receiving and sex thoughts that it was sending to others. And why it scarred me at the time was, of course, when I began to notice this occurring in my direction, both from females and males. But maybe because I was conscious of this occurring, it was sort of like taking a hearing test and you're sitting there waiting and listening for the sound to enter your ears and mind and then you push the button to say that you heard it. I began noticing this tiny little foreign series of thoughts that just sort of floated into my mind from an unknown source. And then when I put attention to it, Obviously, my mistake was putting attention to it. It became thought within my mind and thus began this weird process of thought creating the feeling of experience even as there was no physical experience actually occurring. But most important was I knew it wasn't my own thought. Obviously, now that it enters into the mind, it appears to be one's own thought, but in actuality, it isn't. And this fact unnerved me, realizing that I was not only dealing with my own thoughts, but the thoughts of others as well, along with the difficulty in discerning between the two inside of the mind. If those who think I've spoken too much into conspiracies or wondered why I've spoken a bit about conspiracies regarding mental manipulation, now you know why. Because I essentially witnessed it from a ground zero vantage point, and what I witnessed was nothing short of all that I had seen and read and heard up to that point of hell. Also because while in his nightclub place, instead of time skipping, it was time stopping eternally into the now. And from what I've seen and experienced, hell being here now in this invisible void of existence within and all around us, when time stops like it did for me during this experience, this is most definitely the eternal hell, present now and not at some after-death point. And it was weird, but because I could recognize these shadow, interior, yet somewhat foreign presences within the people that surrounded me, they also noticed me, knew that I was aware of their existence since I was aware of them. And the voices from these inner presences were all trying to tell me to accept it, to accept what was occurring, that this was the real world within the world, and to simply enjoy the hell I was in, essentially, since I had no choice. I remember I gave in and did so when a woman sent me sex thoughts, eager as I was to feel some sort of pleasure to stop the pain. But when men sent me sex thoughts, I haven't and don't do that, I had to fight to eradicate the thoughts out of my mind. And since these inner presences knew I was fighting it, it was as if they continuously sent avalanches of thoughts in my direction. 
But you can't have it both ways, accepting some of these weird foreign thoughts or stopping others. And it was only when I utterly wanted this foreign thought injection, since at this point I was seeing the similarity to the giant needle entering into my mind experience I said had occurred the week prior, when I wanted it all to stop and started trying to blast all thoughts out of my mind, I began to focus through it and let the thoughts pass through my mind without giving them any attention. Doing this caused time to skip again, and I found I was outside walking towards my car. Perhaps trying to focus through the onslaught of thoughts is even what causes the time skipping while in the grips of a drug experience. I don't know. Now, this next part was very strange, and I only mention it because I was reading some stuff about successful men throughout history, and each of them having a woman in their lives of such magnitude that it is unmistakable that having a good woman in a man's life is a foundational aspect to achieving greatness. And thus, the opposite can be true as well. I was dating this girl at the time. I think she was my girlfriend, but I'm not entirely sure since it was very short-lived, and she'd been trying to call me over the previous week, and I hadn't responded since I'd blasted my mind to kingdom come with the previous week in a bud smoking, but she happened to call while I was walking out to my car. Again, strange coincidence or fate, and I answered her call. I don't remember the conversation. I'm pretty sure I was talking about seeing hell, and you can imagine this girl listening, but all I remember is no longer speaking to her again. But this girl used to talk about dropping triple stacks of ecstasy, even five at a time, and I remember while hanging out with her and listening to her talk about how much ecstasy she was dropping, that she was wild and a seriously bad choice of girl to be around, since I don't think I'd done more than two hits of ecstasy in a single night, and that was spread out, not at once. Now in the future, when I talk more theoretically regarding what these types of mystical experiences might be showing, one's personal future for instance, maybe you'll understand more what was shown or experienced here along with its connection to the duality of the male and the female, marriage and or the ancient concept of soulmate, especially if not the one to marry or one that is not the soulmate. In a strange mystical sense, I was seeing a deeper aspect of how this girl operated with constant clubbing, constant ecstasy and drug use, and that I'd seen an aspect of what that experience was both as it had been for her and what would be further for me down the line if I remained friends with her. That's about as much as I can say regarding this since, like I said, it was very strange getting that call. I even knew she was about to call before the phone rang, if you can believe me or not, as in, I had the phone in my hand already expecting the call, and then it rang. But I don't remember anything else said between us since my mind was reeling from the hellish experience in the nightclub and trying to process it. If I did remember anything else, I would say it. I didn't realize speaking this tale would take so long, and since I'm trying to pace the recordings in this season out to a more uniform length, I will stop there. If you take away anything from listening to this, it's how much care one should truly have with their mind and the thoughts that they create within their mind and the thoughts that they allow into their mind. Very difficult for children to do so, which is why I guard my children with a fortress. But with social media and the internet in the palm of our hands, utterly difficult to accomplish for adults now as well. I'll leave you with that, my experience of descending into hell. I'll finish this tale up in the next podcast with the near-death or death experience that came next. Until next time. If you have yet to visit LogosofExperienceAndTruth.com and borne witness to and made the connection of the near thousand images portraying what is seen during the mystical vision throughout all time, all peoples, all cultures, 
all traditions, the visual representation of the epitomes of science in all religions, make sure to visit and see and judge for yourself if what is shown equals my claim to experience and truth and that which potentially unites all the deeper hidden invisible mysteries of humankind. <laughs>